Good afternoon and welcome to Tackling the Toughest Problem in Healthcare IT Security, Medical Devices, a Health System CIO Media Inc. production sponsored by AHEAD. Just a little housekeeping before we get started. My name is Anthony Guerra. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Health System CIO and I will be your moderator today. Uh, we're looking forward to your participation. We're going to do a little poll, and also we welcome questions and comments in the Q&A box. So keep that in mind. We'll take those. We'll address the questions and comments later in the program, but send them in as they occur to you. A uh, nice view that we want you to have today of our event. What you want to do is click on the view options in the top center of your screen. Get that in side-by-side -side mode. Slide the divider to make the video boxes uh, as big as you want. And you should have it saying speaker view. That's when you're in that nice view to see all the boxes. Uh, just so you see how we're going to spend our time today, we're going to go about 35 to 40 minutes with our main panel discussion featuring Anahi Santiago, Chief Information Security Officer with Christiana Care Health System, Sri Bharadwaj, VP of Digital Innovation with Franciscan Health, and Stephen Aiello, Security Practice Director with AHEAD. So we're going to jump right in. Anahi, let's start with you. You want to give us a quick overview of your organization and your role? Sure. So uh, Christiana Care is uh, the largest healthcare system in the state of Delaware. Um, we actually serve the four states surrounding the, the large Delaware, greater Philadelphia area. Um, in terms of admissions, I think we're about 24th in the nation. So pretty, pretty large health system, integrated healthcare system. My role there as the Chief Information Security Officer is really to oversee the um, all things that are cybersecurity, data protection, uh, network resiliency. So I lead a team that uh, serves Christiana Care in, in their mission and ensuring that our caregivers have the data available to them so that they can care for our patients. Excellent, thank you Anahi, looking forward to the talk. Sri? Uh, this is Sri Bharadwaj. Uh, thanks for the opportunity, Anthony. Uh, I recently moved into uh, the Vice President of Digital Innovation role for Franciscan Health uh, from UC Irvine Health. Several folks know me as the CISO for UC Irvine Health in the past. Uh, in this role, um, this is going to be a, a fun time to talk about uh, how do we, how do we uh, interweave security into innovation. Uh, I also handle all of the uh, clinical apps and EPIC uh, uh, applications that our physicians use across the system. Uh, for Franciscan Health is a 14 hospital system based out of uh, 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 Indiana with hospitals across Illinois, Michigan, and the Midwest region. Um, oh, part of the uh, St. Francis uh, Sisters of Assisi uh, hospital network that was formed over 120 years ago uh, this has been serving uh, patients across the system with that kind of a uh, motive. Uh, a full, fully run Christian missionary uh, hospital with several innovative stuff that they want to get done in the next few years. Excellent. Sounds like a, a grand new adventure. Uh, Steve? Hello. Uh, thanks for joining us today. My name is Steve Maiello. I work at AHEAD. Uh, we are a consulting and services firm and a bar. Uh, we focus very heavily on the healthcare space. Roughly 
40% of our customer base is healthcare. And my role at AHEAD is to help our customers, healthcare and otherwise, um, really get a grip on how to manage information security in a unique way. Um, you know, there are many, many vendors out there that will be happy to sell you a new Blinky box or a piece of software, um, you know, that they state will solve all your problems. We really focus uh, in a couple areas on the people and process side. Uh, we have an excellent uh, cloud team as well as a security team. And so a significant portion of uh, my work has been helping healthcare organizations of all different types um, with their digital transformation, their innovation initiatives, and that pertains uh, in a large section to how they will secure their public cloud platforms as well as their on-premises uh, data centers and environments. Excellent. Thank you, Steve. All right, Sri, let's start with you on the next question. What impact has COVID had on your organization and community? I guess you can address uh, your old organization or your new one. Um, and what do you think the effects have been on IT security? Um, I mean, I can address both in this response. Um, when we originally started uh, the initial review of what is it that we need to be doing, uh, we quickly found out that uh, um, several staff were going to be working from home. So that was paramount from a security perspective. And then immediately found out that the uh, several staff working from home meant also several visits uh, with patients also have to be done virtually. So those two kind of uh, uh, forced us down a path, which uh, we, we then started figuring things out pretty quickly. Luckily, we had the infrastructure to make it work for for the both patients as well as employees. But what really we found out was, you know, um, when people go work from home uh, as a uh, nice to have, right? That That is different from working from home from a have to have kind of situation. So <clears throat> of course, devices uh, were in short supply, uh, the monitors were in short supply, displays and so on were all in short supply. Um, we could not get initially um, iPads as we ordered. Uh, lots, of, lots of those kinds of things um, imp impacted our ability to service our customers. More importantly, we now realize we need to have a more stronger, secure infrastructure. That means firewalls, VPNs, and technologies that really change the way we do things, uh, allowing employees to connect to um, our network and work safely within that network and making sure um, employees who were connecting to us were working on VPNs that we, were, we actually had deployed or issued as part of our process to those employees. Switching gears uh, on the other hand side, uh, physicians wanted to get their patients to get to see their patients. Um, we've all heard about the, um, the security issues with Zoom. Uh, so we, we were concerned that there were several opportunities here to improve our, our uh, ability to understand truly what was going on within that spectrum of care. So we started putting more monitoring solutions in place, trying to understand the traffic and also looking at quality of service uh, because uh, degradation of quality of service also impacts from a security perspective if you throw too much encryption on it. We had early lessons from there and then I think uh, we are in a much, much better place today than where we were then. Um, but 
our ability to provide some resilience with agility uh, helped us focus on the most important things that is required for our organization, mostly our employees and our patients. Resilience with agility, I like that. Um, Steve, you want to talk a little bit about what you saw on uh, either from your organization or from your customers in healthcare about the security sort of strains that were put on their organizations from how they had to extend the enterprise? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, there was, I think, a couple of things. Uh, one at a more tactical level, um, and others at a more strategic level. Um, you know, we saw, first of all, you know, I think most healthcare organizations, you know, it's been all over the news and not saying anything that people don't know, but the overall revenue dropped fairly significantly because elective surgeries were down. So, you know, we've had many conversations or I've had many conversations with various CISOs that I work with and they were put in this very difficult problem. They, they knew they were going to be bringing on less revenue and so their budgets were likely to contract. At the same time, they needed to rapidly pivot a strategy from sort of the legacy, we're going to harden the outside um, as best we can, to, you know, there is no inside or outside anymore. Um, and so we were looking at um, pulling forward certain initiatives like multi-factor, secure internet access, um, things like that, that were maybe a 2021-2022 initiative. And um, it, it reprioritized a lot of things. And I think overall, what we saw was the acceleration of the mobility of the end user. You know, I think that there's been the saying consumerization of IT for some time. Uh, and when we deal with healthcare organizations, the physicians are, you know, um, very exacting on how they want to access their data, how long it takes to access their data. And I think it was something in everybody's mind, yeah, we should probably do something about this. We should make the data more readily available and keep it secure. I think this really brought that to the, to the forefront um, from everybody that we're talking to. Um, and therefore the controls that people um, and organizations thought that they were going to be implementing uh, were changed. I mean, I've had very, very specific conversations. Yeah, this was something we were thinking about doing in 2022, and now we're doing it this year, even though we know we're going to have some revenue for shortfalls. So it, it's been a very interesting time. Um, and uh, I think it's, it's forced people to think differently about their priorities moving forward. Anahi, how would you uh, describe, you know, the effect on, on the health system, the things you had to do to, to help the organization manage the COVID influx, the security implications of those activities? And if you want to bring in with some of what Steve was saying, I don't know if the conversations involved had anything to do with budget in light of the cancellation of elective surgeries. And, you know, oh, by the way, we need to do all these things, but we're going to have a lot less money to do them. So anyway, take me through your experience. Sure. So, so I think um, we, were, we were fortunate in that we already had a lot of the controls and infrastructure in place to be able to support, um, you know, this mass scale out of a remote workforce. And so for us, the, the 
the, the call to action was really just to increase capacity, scale out. The controls were already in place. Uh, we, we've always, we've had a cloud first mentality and a, in an approach to access and productivity where the vision is our clinicians should be able to access information, really our caregivers, should be able to access information from anywhere, from any device um, at any time. And so we've been building out our, our infrastructure and our environment to support that with things like cloud access security brokers, multi-factor authentication, you know, compensating controls. So for us, um, we've already, we, we were already positioned for having controls for where people are accessing things, whether it's from a managed device, an unmanaged device, on-premise, off-premise. Um, and, and so we didn't have to move very quickly there. Where we were specifically affected is that, uh, people started to think about really creative ways of using technology to be able to support this pandemic. Things like putting iPads in every room to, uh, so that patients could communicate with clinicians while avoiding any contact that wasn't absolutely necessary. Also deploying technology so that patients who couldn't receive visitors could communicate with their, um, with their family members. Uh, and those all have presented a unique set of challenges that we weren't necessarily uh, designed for. And so for us, our team has been really just working side by side with our caregivers as they're thinking through all these innovative ways to use technology to support um, the changing environment uh, to make sure that as we're making decisions on how we're going to use technology and deliver technology, we're embedding security from within. And I think the great thing is that culturally, Christiana Care has always valued cybersecurity. Um, at times has said, you know, clinical care is number one, cybersecurity is number two, everything else is next, um, relatively speaking. And, and so for us, it was, we were ready to support what we needed to do. We just needed to do other new things differently, which were interesting and exciting. In, in terms of budget, I think everybody's having the same conversation. We too had to cancel all elective surgeries, um, a lot of the services that, you know, that generate revenue for us. And so we are having budget conversations now and we are looking at our portfolio and what was planned, not only for the next three to six months, but the next 12 to 18 months to make sure that we're prioritizing and ensuring that we are being fiscal, fiscally responsible, but also making sure that we're not putting our organization at risk because we're choosing not to do things that we believe are critical to the organization. And I think the one thing that um, I think it's important to mention is that when this all happened, the threat landscape increased significantly. Um, you know, the, the number of phishing attacks rose by, I think, 300% in March. And so what we did was spend a lot of time working with our external affairs folks to make sure that we were getting out communication not just about COVID-related activity, but the cyber threats that were associated with COVID-related activity. And so for us, um, it, it actually be became a benefit because the communication mechanisms and the education and awareness capabilities actually opened up significantly to us to be able to get our word out there um, and to derive value um, by being able to communicate to our caregivers around what they needed to do to protect our organization, but what they needed to do to protect themselves and their families from a cyber threat perspective. 
Excellent, excellent. Thank you. <clears throat> so today we're going to talk. Uh, you know, we touched on security in general. We're going to this webinar today is specifically about medical device security. I want to know how you think of it, Steve. I want to start with you on this question. Do you think of this as part of security, or is it, for whatever reason, so distinct that it kind of needs its own little world? Is it separated out? I think, at least from our perspective, um, it is definitely part of security. Mm -hmm. And the reason why is, although medical devices are unique and certainly pose uh, unique challenges, they're not unlike other IoT devices, if you will. Or, or you know, we have a lot of customers in Michigan, they're very heavy in manufacturing, right? We'll take that example. And they run very specific operating systems. I think why medical devices present a unique challenge is actually, it, it highlights um, sort of a failure in information security and cybersecurity as a whole. Um, we've been through the last, I mean, I, I, I love the article by Bruce Schneier. He, it was written in 2000. And at, he at that time was looking back 30 years, right? And, and he was talking about all the problems and how all the problems had plagued information security from the 70s to the year 2000. And if you go back and if you read that amazing article, it's still the exact same problems that we're dealing with today. So we had 50 years with basically the same problems. And the reason why is because we've been so dependent on slapping an agent on something or, you know, we'll put a, a blinky box in front of something. Um, at least how we've been dealing with or talking to our customers about medical devices, it comes down to some very solid principles of proper network segmentation, proper design. Um, and I think if you look at those basics that are not, you know, they're not sexy if marketing campaign about a product that'll help you get get you there. But if you go back to the basics and you talk about segmentation, if you talk about only allowing least privilege access from a medical device to a system that it may need to interface with in order to update a record or, or something of that nature, um, you can tackle those problems in a very similar manner that you would be able to tackle other similar, similarly classified devices like a, a manufacturing press or a stamping press. Um, so we look at this, um, you know, obviously the devices need to be highly available. Lives are on the line, um, unlike let's say a stamping press in a manufacturing line. Um, but we apply the same fundamental security principles to biomedical devices that we would apply to other sort of unique devices. Very good, Anahi, what are your thoughts? So, uh, you know, I, I actually uh, have stopped using the word IT security because it's not an IT problem. It is, you know, security um, covers all areas of the organization, whether it's, uh, you know, a, a peer review service that requires access to our medical records to be able to check and make sure that our clinicians are documenting appropriately all the way down to medical devices and IoT devices. So. I don't see it separate, um, and, and I don't think we should. I, I definitely do think that there are unique challenges in the medical device space that, um, that, that require us to treat them differently than we would otherwise other what we'll call IT assets. 
but the same principles to, to Stephen's point apply: network segmentation, encryption, um, you know, patch patch and vulnerability management where possible, asset management for certain. And, and so, although we do have a separate medical device security plan to govern those environments, it, it, it doesn't vary vastly from our regular cybersecurity plan in terms of um, everything from supply chain management down to you know networking and, and standard security controls. Very good, Sri. Um, I would like to expand this from uh, just a medical device security to Internet of Things security, right? Um, just a, a medical device contains, assume, assuming medical device data, um, so all the controls that Anahi and, and um, Stephen talked about makes complete perfect sense. But I think the one of the key things that we are seeing is uh, there are more and more newer devices coming into the marketplace. Um, and uh, there are, I mean, in, in my world, in the innovation world, we want to try as many new products as possible, right? as quickly as possible. Fail fast and fail quick, right? That's, that's the goal we want to get to. So if that is the case, then we got to look at uh, Internet of Things as a much broader concept in medical device security. So going back to the same principles, you know, whether it is, uh, you know, if you take any of these devices, they are probably uh, connected through Wi-Fi, through Zigbee, Z-Wave, radio frequency, you name it. Any of these things are, are, are ability for them to get connected. But then the bigger goal is how do we, how do we make sure all of this is comprised in a way that security is paramount and how we execute things together? So the basic goal still remains, right? CIA. Confidentiality integrity uh, is, is something that we would definitely do. And more importantly, when you look at the availability of data, that's something that we want to touch upon in a minute, is that the data that's in the device can be encrypted, can be traversed to the network, whatever it is. More importantly, when the device is decommissioned or is removed for maintenance or is uh, not powered in to back to the network in some way, shape, or form. What is happening to the data that is residing on the device? Several people try to put in all the VLANs and everything else to secure them, but the one availability of data, that is something people forget sometimes, because when the device is not working, you send it to the device vendor's uh, you know, um, office to go figure out, can you check on this? And he says, look, I got to go and check it back with other monitoring systems in the office. Guess what? Without you knowing that data is actually leaving your premises and going into somebody else's organization. There, the data can be downloaded, dispatched, driven, done whatever we, we want to do with it, uh, and analyzed as well, which you may or may not be aware of. So when you look at IoT, you are looking at data transmission, voice transmission in some cases, like an Amazon Alexa, which could become a medical device as well. And uh, you're looking at uh, how you are protecting those things. So my point is, let's broaden it. Let's apply the same philosophy that it would be happening, whether it's in your organization or outside an organization, which happens to be your device. So account for it and then continue to monitor it and maintain it in the way you would monitor and maintain any other device out there. Steve, any any thoughts on that on on uh, Sri or uh, Anahi's points? 
I agree. I, I think looking at these these medical devices as part of a holistic IoT strategy. I mean, we work with a lot of healthcare organizations that they are trying to take full advantage of IoT devices paired with cloud technology. And one of the things that we're tasked with is, you know, and completely agree. I mean, a lot of folks forget that there is an A, there is the availability in the CIA triad, right? If you want to go to that. And I think, unfortunately, sometimes security practitioners, they make that A really, really difficult. <laughs> um, and, you know, we have to work better with um, the infrastructure, the, the R&D teams. Uh, but I completely agree, because if you look at how these IoT devices are beginning to proliferate environments, he's, he's absolutely right. It's not just a medical device. It could be a thermostat connected to the Internet. It could be any single thing that has a TCP IP protocol stack on it and that has an operating system, you know, likely you will be able to find a vulnerability for it. So I completely agree with his um, assertion that we should be looking at a more holistic IoT strategy um, and we should, you know, not just be beholden to, you know, any specific vendor that just tells you we'll, we'll slap an agent on here um, you really do need a strategy to deal with these things holistically. Com completely agree. Anahi, anything you want to add? I, I, I agree with everything that has been said. I, I've been talking about um, this concept of securing the human and that CISOs have, we've evolved from um, moving, you know, protecting the data center to protecting the cloud to now protecting people uh, we, I mean, we have patients walking around with cardiac devices that have that could potentially have vulnerabilities in them. We are a recipient of uh, the FTC grant that was given to a lot of hospitals to, you know, in, in response and in support of COVID. And so we're now talking about giving patients in underserved areas iPhones with apps. Um, and biomedical equipment that, that they can take home to help us manage their care virtually while they are recovering from, recovering from COVID. And so I've been talking about, you know, how our role is now going to expand into having to protect patients and devices and patients' homes, and we're here. Um, and for me, it's very exciting because I've been talking about it for a really long time. Um, and so when we talk about medical devices and IoT devices, we're now talking about things that are that expand beyond our network, that are connected to our patients, and that we have to think through not only how we protect those devices as they leave our premises, how we protect our patients and how we educate them in securing um, their environments so that we can safely care for them um, remotely or through some sort of home care mechanisms. My boss always says, if, if it can be delivered digitally, people are going to want to consume it digitally. And if it can be delivered, if care can be delivered in somebody's home, we're going to have to deliver it in their homes. And I think we're seeing that now and, we, and healthcare has been forced um, to adopt these practices much more quickly, um, but the future's here. Excellent, excellent. Uh, next question, uh, and let's start with Sri on this. <clears throat> in addition to anything that we covered, we talked about segmentation, but any other best practices that you want to bring up for dealing with, with medical devices 
And what are some of the challenges? I mean, obviously, this is, you know, we, I've talked to uh, different panels about this. Inventory's an issue. We don't even know where they all are. You know, the, how do we track them? The nurses are for, with good intentions are hiding them so they can get them when they need them. Um, so any other issues you want to talk about or best practices? Yeah, I mean, uh, you talk about hiding them. Here's a funny, funny story. Um, there was a there was actually a device that was uh, hidden away from everybody else, and we found out that uh, that was hidden uh, after we deployed our our um, medical device solution. Uh, we started at least categorizing them and putting them together and saying, okay, we should have X number of you know uh, pumps in the system, right? Okay, great, we got X number of pumps in the system, but why is one pump that was there about four months ago? No longer showing up, and then we found out that obviously it was in it's in some closet somewhere. Uh, and the problem is that when they tried to go back and use it, it was several versions behind in terms of the updates. So by the time they could actually bring it back and getting to use it, it was probably almost a day where you lost productivity of that pump, not only for the past X number of months, but also when you really needed it, you couldn't do that, right? You couldn't use it. I mean, think about it if you were in a ventilator type scenario where you needed a ventilator and that ventilator was connected to the internet and was trying to get powered up through the process. And if you are in a COVID patient, just think through what that will take if I had to wait for a day for it to get all patched up and upgraded and so on and so forth before it could be used. You had a device which could not be put in place because it was just, and guess what people will do? Oh, crash that, upgrade, let's get the ventilator in would be the first decision that we make, right? because life is more important than security at that point in time. So it's these times where we found that several people who through their you know, good intentions in some ways um, did not understand how important it was for a device to be made available when it was required to be made available to them. So understanding where your devices are is critical, but not just that, making sure that these devices are patched uh, available to you is also important. Another angle that we've seen is that, you know, if a device says, look, uh, you know, the patient in in, uh, in room 641 uh, has got this kind of uh, uh, heart rate at this point in time, is different from saying, oh, Anthony Guerra's blood pressure at this time was so-and-so, right? Now you know you have uh, uh, specific data associated with the specific patient uh, in that kind of scenario. That kind of discussion is something that work, that's what causes us heartburn, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, you would have a vendor saying, oh, well, we don't store PHI. Well, you are storing Anthony's name and you are storing his uh, blood pressure at this time or heart rate at this time, whatever. Uh, and that information is it's all of a sudden can be, can be attributable to you. And if that data leaves, if that device leaves the organization for maintenance, that data can be downloaded and that data has to be protected, right? That is where I think the security challenges are. Very few people understand uh, it's when the device is off the network, you have the most problems, not when it is on the network. That's one thing. The second thing is that just because it's off the network doesn't mean you can bring it back on the network the minute you want it, because you may not be able to bring it back the minute you want it. Those two things people don't forget to understand about these devices, IOTs, pacemakers, you name it, whatever they are, 
they are all have the have go through the same process, same model to understand how to make it effective at the point in time when you really need to use it. Very good, Steve. Um, I think there's two there's maybe two things that I can speak to um, anecdotally. Um, a, a good friend of mine I went to grad school with, he ended up um, at Phillips working in their IoT security section. He was leading that initiative globally. And you know, one thing that I had learned talking to him from working in a very, very large organization who produces medical devices, um, and also from talking, we had some medical device manufacturer customers. Um, the, it's the same things with software development. The goal is to get the product out um, and people care about security, but I think it is very difficult for organizations to slow down, the, the, the organizations that are producing these devices um, to slow down and to really put the brakes on releasing something that's coming to market. Uh, we, you know, he, my friend shared horror stories with me. They would look for folks to help them um, build these medical devices securely, and the resources just weren't available. I mean, quite frankly, if, if you look at InfoSec as, uh, as a complete practice, you know, you, you can read the ISC squared, we're a half a million people short, as it is, right? Um, and these are most of those jobs, you know, that are, that are sought off after are, are like fintech companies that can pay very, very well. Um, what we've seen across many healthcare organizations, um, they generally don't have the budgets. And certainly our medical device manufacturing customers don't have a significant budget to invest in information security in their platforms. So, um you know, the best practices when we've spoken to people is be so diligent on your vendor selection and vendor management process. Um, I came from a financial world and I, I actually came from mostly data center environments where we were hosting services and we had absolute control over the software that we were providing services on. And when I started getting involved with medical um, organizations, when I came to a head, it, it's, it, it was shocking because it was completely different to see how um, hospitals, how dependent hospitals are on their vendors for patching the device, for maintaining the devices. Um, it was astonishing to me. So I think one of the, the very best things you can do is you know, to deeply scrutinize whatever the manufacturer's um, internal security program is uh, don't take their word for it. Um, you know, have somebody who's deeply technical on the phone when you're doing your your vendor risk assessment to really sort of put the screws to your vendor, if you would. Um, that is one of the best things that I've seen. Some of the larger hospitals that we deal with, they have very very technical folks, and even not just hospitals, they have very deep technical expertise. Anytime they bring some sort of IoT device in. Uh, to sort of get back to Shree's point, we should be doing this across the board. Any non-standard device, um, I've seen um, corporations ask for sample devices, and then they've had their red teams go after these devices um, and, and really um, tear them apart, right, and, and expose vulnerabilities uh, that were just not even considered. So 
very, uh, very diligent sort of vendor risk management processes and um, evaluating those platforms in a very technical way, not just taking the vendor's advice on what they tell you. Uh, really, really interesting point, Steve. Uh, appreciate those. Uh, Anahi, you want to touch on anything Steve said or uh, the question on the slide? It's up to you. Yeah, I mean, my, my thoughts are, are pretty aligned with what was just said. It all starts with risk management. Um, and we put any new technology, any new service that deals with data through our risk assessment process, which um, does do a very deep technical assessment of the technical components of the device, but it also looks at the vendor's security program. Do they have a designated information security professional? Do they have a security team? Um, do, they, do they do enterprise risk management? Do they have an incident response process? I mean, we put them through a whole gamut of questions, both technically um, and procedurally. And then what we come out with is a document um, that assesses risk, red, yellow, green, um, that, it, that ensues a conversation with the business owner that's interested in onboarding the device and a dialogue around risk so that we can make a business and clinical decision as to whether the clinical value of onboarding the device is far greater than the security risk of onboarding that device. And that leads to an informed decision about how to go forward. And then subsequent to that, we add security terms to the contracts um, that require updated operating systems, um, the ability to patch within defined uh, periods of time that are aligned with our internal processes, um, reporting of external vulnerabilities, um, uh, I'm sorry, of, of, of responsible disclosures that a vendor might, might receive so that we are aware if they're informed of a particular vulnerability. And, and so, and then it goes back to what Shree said, making sure that, that at the end of the life cycle of that device, we have the ability to control how that data is destroyed according to NIST standards, whether it's by us or by the vendor, uh, to make sure that um, through the entire life cycle, we have controls in place to govern those medical devices. And frankly, it's no different than if it was just a regular old IT asset. All right, very good. Let's uh, kick out our audience poll. Um, we'll get that in front of you now. The most vulnerable security point of health systems is medical devices. Do you agree with that or disagree with that? Um, and our uh, panelists can vote as well. So please go ahead and vote, and we will take a look at that those results in a moment. Um, let's get to some audience questions. I want to get a few of these in, so we'll just have one of you answer each one, I think. What is your model or practice for protecting patient PHI with medical device data, especially for telehealth, where medical devices are located in the patient's home? Sri, you want to tackle that one? Sure. Um, so remote patient monitoring has picked up steam in the past few weeks. Uh, there are several remote patient monitoring solutions out there. Um, uh, class research did some work around this area and published a document that uh, you know, folks can read. Uh, what what we have seen with remote patient monitoring is there is there are solutions that are uh, can be deployed can be used uh, across the system for pulling in data from various devices from homes. Several of these devices are connected to a a device that is supplied by the uh, uh, by the uh, entity that is deploying the device. Um, 
like a, a software vendor, and uh, those devices communicate with that particular uh, device at home, and then pull all that information and centrally provide that data to a, a central cloud-based software uh, that is managed by the vendor as well. So as long as you use a approved, authorized uh, vendor who's done this, who's who you've reviewed from a software perspective and validated with it from a risk management angle, I think that that makes a lot more sense to use that device for uh, for Bluetooth devices. Now, there are several other devices that our patients use as well, but that data is not directly synced up with our environment because they use that data to input that into my chart, uh, which is our patient portal, and that information is fed back to our physicians as part of the care management process. So. Um, if it is completely connected, then you have to use an approved software for that purpose, which you can which you can vet and validate. If it is uh, used outside of that software, uh, that data can be entered into a secure patient portal. Very good. All right, Steve, let's put this one in front of you. What is best practice for retirement of medical devices? Do they hold? Um, do they, if they hold PHI and it is not recommended to wipe or destroy that data prior to disposal. Um, any thoughts around that? Is that a good one for you, Steve? So the, the question is best practices. Can you, can you, re, can you the restate the question? Best practices for retirement of medical devices. Um, oh, if they hold PHI, should you or should you not wipe or destroy that data prior to disposal? No, just uh, your best interpretation of that question. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is. I mean, this is sort of humorous. Uh, my last position before I had always, always. Uh, if someone, um, if somebody tells you not to wipe a, any device that you're sending out of your environment, uh, check their temperature. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> they're delusional. Uh, I mean, it's it sort of we. I had a younger team that worked for me at my last job. And with our most sensitive um, hard drives, we literally took them to the firing range and we shot them. Um, so that's how we destroyed that. Yeah, always, always wipe your data. <laughs> always wipe your data. And yeah, are, yeah, you, are, are, you, are you specifically endorsing that method? Uh, <laughs> I, 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 I don't endorse any specific method. Uh, I would probably, if I was going to do any, I would follow the, the NIST uh, standards so you could make your auditor happy. <laughs> he would specifically awesome. endorse that method for his gun shooting practice. That is <laughs> right. Well, yeah. if you're a bad if you're yeah. a bad shot, you might not do a great job of obliterating. Yeah, there you go. The there, so, there you go. Yeah. It depends but, on it depends on how good of a shot your team is. <laughs> Very good. All right, Anahi, let's get this audience question in front of you. Lots of telemedicine uh, using mobile devices that offer easy access for seniors can uh, can also send vitals. How do you approach patient video visits over smartphone any differently from phone visits? So, so we, we do approach them differently. Uh, we consider the phone to be a conduit. Uh, whereas with a video, there's storage capabilities. There, there, there are other risks that come along with being able to, to deliver um, images and video. Uh, it, 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 again, it goes back to risk assessments. When we look at the devices that we're going to leverage, we take a look at the security controls associated with those devices, the cloud environments that those devices uh, may be beaming data to um, in order to interface with, with our environment. And so 
we take a default deny approach um, as we're looking to deliver these technologies, um, making sure that they're only able to do specifically what they're designed to do. Um, and if that's, so I'll, I'll give you an example. I talked about the FTC grant and the fact that we're um, giving out iPhones with internet capabilities to patients so that they can help us to manage their care remotely. Um, we are looking at app apps that they can use to do text messaging that don't actually store anything to the physical device. We are, we're looking at apps that enable patients to be able to take pictures of their a potential wound or, or a skin lesion um, without the ability to physically store those images to the device. And so we're, whenever we look at technology, we look at what we want that technology to do and, and how we can help to deliver the care while reducing risk by taking away whatever components are unnecessary and aren't, gonna, um, aren't, gonna, aren't going to create more risk for us. So every device is different. Um, and every approach to those devices is different, but at the end of the day, we're looking to reduce as much risk as possible. Okay, uh, we have we have Can the I, poll results in, so I'd like to see if we have some uh, some guesses on that. Um, Anahi, what do you think the poll results are in terms of percentages? What do you think the percentages for agree? Uh, so, so I would think that. 60% believe that medical devices are most vulnerable. All right, all right, Steve. I um, I don't know, I'm a very data-driven person. So uh, I would say, I'll go the other side. I'll flip the other side of the coin. 40% would say that their medical devices are, are the biggest issue. 40% agree. Um, Sri, what are you saying? I would go 70. 70. All right. So the, <laughs> I love this. The, uh, the results are in and we're going to share them. And the answer is 52% oh, agree. Okay. So Anahi and Steve are pretty close. 12, eight. So Anahi wins, right? All right. My math is correct. Anahi wins. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah. Very you, nice. If I, if I can uh, be honest, I don't agree. I actually think third parties are the largest risk to healthcare organizations, far greater, in my opinion, far greater than medical devices. So you would be yeah. on the disagree side. You would be on the disagree side. Yeah, All right, well, disagree. it's a very close race. So I wonder, and, and we didn't ask, but I wonder what people, if they're disagreeing with that, probably they're agreeing with you and I about third parties. Um, all right, uh, Anthony. Uh, uh, yes, one sir. thing I'd like to contribute to that previous conversation around videos and telecom. Please. Uh, having been part of that process in the very immediate past, uh, there are two typical technologies that are used, uh, protocols that are used for um, uh, real-time communication collaboration over the internet. Uh, one is called the SIP, which is a session-initiated protocol, and WebRTC. Both. Uh, you know, both our solution sets that we use today uh, uh, for voice or IP technology uh, that expands on and integrates the SIP functionality as well, right? WebRTC does that. So they are, you know, both protocols have specific use cases and specific data sets that transmit data, both video and voice over a web browser, which is what almost all of these technologies that we see today use. 
um, the the methodology that is used for both uh, will have to be made sure that they are secure as well. And I think um, the telephone technology that is used um, outside of the voice or IP technology is different uh, because of the protocol that's being used. That's why uh, there is more vulnerability with uh, the video visits because the images can be transmitted, stored as an image as well together with it. Um, and then until unless it is protected through some sort of a, uh, a secure encryption mechanism, uh, you are open to a lot more vulnerabilities than a phone call. Very good. Um, audience question, Steve, let me get this in front of you. Um, do you see anyone using PKI for security for medical devices? Um, not extensively. Uh, we have some customers that have been asking about it. Uh, it's still been more of a legacy uh, Mac-based approach. Um, that's what we've seen. Very good. Uh, Anahi, let's put this one in front of you. How do you work with your in-house technology management, such as biomed or clin clinical engineering teams, to understand the details and nuances of medical devices? Great question. Uh, so we actually have an information security team member that lives and works in clinical engineering. And so that individual is tasked with a couple of things. They're obviously tasked with um, information security and making sure that um, as we progress the medical device world that we're baking security from within. Um, that individual is also tasked with training all of the other clinical engineering folks on cybersecurity principles so that they, as the ones on the front lines, are thinking about security as well as um, clinical delivery when they are managing those devices, whether it's preventative maintenance, whether it's break fix, or whether it's just assisting a clinician with the use of those devices. So I think um, we've derived a lot of value from having an individual that um, that lives in that department representing security, um, because that individual also has acquired a lot a lot of knowledge around medical devices that they can then bring back to our team, so that um, medical device security starts to become part of the overall program as opposed to some separate thing that lives somewhere else. <laughs> Excellent, Sri. Um, wanted to get a question to you about your career change, um, your job change, going from CISO to um, the VP of Innovation. Uh, and I'm wondering, do you see security work as being conducive to one being innovative? Do you see a connection there uh, between those studies? Uh, do, we, do you think we'll see more security folks uh, getting into the innovation line of work? Yeah, sure. Um, I, in, my, in my previous role, I was the Chief Information Security Officer and also uh, was uh, Senior Director of Applications, meaning I, I, I was responsible for delivering applications back to the, to the community, both patients as well as physicians, right? So as part of that process, we built mobile applications, we built uh, digital technologies, uh, virtual technologies for our, our uh, organizational use. Um, and when we built those, we, we built them with security in the mind as part of the fabric, right? We, we made sure the protocols were vetted, validated. Uh, we made sure that the, uh, uh, the code that was written was, uh, was tested uh, from a security perspective. 
uh, we made we, we made sure there was encryption as part of the download and upload of data and all the kind of stuff, right? So that was what I did in my previous role. And guess what? When you translate into this new role, um, it, it becomes part of the fabric, which is which is a great benefit for when when I look at uh, tools and technologies that we deploy from an innovation angle. Uh, give you an example. We did a multi-specialty rounding as part of COVID for PPE prevention. Uh, and uh, when we did that, we had several physicians in, in um, uh, several uh, specialist physicians in one conference room, uh, virtually rounding a patient across the hospital system uh, with one physician walking around uh, the patient rooms, right? When we did that, uh, I had an intensivist, a cardiologist, a pulmonologist, an endocrinologist, as well as a, um, a hospitalist uh, looking through uh, the lens of uh, Microsoft Teams uh, application as part of their, uh, you know, the virtual visit, virtual uh, rounding model, uh, and then we had a, a nurse and a physician in the in the patient's room uh, with an iPad and, um, uh, of course, uh, speakers and several paraphernalia associated with that. We deployed a new stethoscope. Uh, a new stethoscope was a medical device, according to what we believed that to be a medical device. We, we use that stethoscope to stream uh, the data from the stethoscope through uh, a device that we put together associated with the iPad that several patients, uh, several physicians could hear about what is happening in the patient's room. That was innovative. But guess what? Before we, de before we deployed the iPad in the room, we made sure it was authorized, it was encrypted, and it was it had uh, mobile device management running on it with the right security controls. Before we deployed the Bluetooth, it had the right security capabilities. The streaming was was appropriately secure and made sure that it was encrypted between the two devices, even though it went to the cloud. Now, if a typical person who wants to innovate in, in the past would just go and throw in a device and didn't worry about all of that stuff and say, oh, well, it works. Well, now it works. Now take it into the outside world for it to become mainframe from the innovation aspect of it. Now it goes through a security review. Guess what? It fails. You can't deploy the, the hmm. solution out there, right? right? So bringing security and innovation together delivers a much more proven model, proven product out in the open world when you're looking at bringing that together. That is the big value add that somebody in security who becomes an innovator can really bring to the organization. Excellent. Well, we're getting uh, close to the end of the time. Steve, I want to give you an opportunity for some last words. Um, any advice, I think the most important thing would be to give any advice that you can give to any of our hospital security professionals on the line that are grappling with this medical device challenge. What's, uh, what's your best advice to send them, send them off with today? I think I, part of it would be to uh, echo what Sri was talking about. It, you know, we have a saying uh, internally, we call our security program guardrails, not speed bumps. Um, I, I don't know if this is a true statement or not, but I like it, so I'm going to use it anyway. Uh, the, when the uh, automobile was first created, it could maybe go about 30 miles an hour. And it really, it wasn't because they didn't have capabilities to go faster, but because it wasn't safe to go faster. Then you invent brakes right? You put them on an automobile and now you can safely go much faster speeds. So if I were to say anything to information security folks, you know, 
try. It's a, it's a more difficult job to say, yes, we'll figure out a way to do that securely for you than to just say no. You know, a lot of times InfoSec uh, gets a bad rap. They're sort of, oh, they tell us we can't do anything. You know, I would say you know, sort of look at it differently. I think information security people are very, very creative. I think it's amazing that um, you've been brought up to the innovation officer. I think it's absolutely appropriate. Um, and hopefully we'll see more security leaders in those types of positions. And what that means is you have to have a mindset to take on the hard task. It's not saying no. It's saying yes, and we will be a partner to get you there securely. Very good. And now he is that is that next for you now, the VP of innovation? Is that what you know, I would not shy away from that role. I think as security professionals, our roles are going to expand. Um, and, and security is now getting embedded into everything, and it's critical, especially in healthcare, um, because it's a patient safety issue. It's not a technology issue. Awesome. What a perfect ending. So with that, I want to thank everyone for joining today regarding continuing education. Those of you who hold the, CA, uh, the CHVIO certification with CHIME or other CEU programs, you can use the final slide in this deck. Uh, you will receive an email when the on-demand recording is ready. If you want to sponsor an event with us, you can reach out to Nancy Wilcox or register for one of our events on our site. With that, I want to thank our panel very much. Excellent talk today. Sri Bharadwaj, Anahi Santiago, Steve Aiello, and I very much want to thank AHEAD for making today's event possible. And I want to thank you, our audience, for continuing to join us. With that, everybody have a wonderful day. Thank you. Good day. Thank you.